we definitely always benchmark things when we're writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I often start with an online search of other examples, especially from other products that I like and see how they do their error messaging or this kind of messaging, whatever I'm working on and make a little bit of an inspiration file before starting to write my own draft. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hey, and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast which is all about UX writing, content strategy, content design, and everything that writers are in charge when they work in a product team. My name is Yuval, and I had the opportunity to interview today Irene and Annalise. They work in a company named Babel. This is a language education app based in Berlin. I actually had the opportunity to have a lunch with them when I was visiting Berlin, and it was super exciting to speak with them about their process. So after speaking with them, I told them that I have to interview both of them together. So it's going to be a double interview for the first time ever for Writers in Tech. We're going to have a double interview. That's about it. Writers in Tech brought you by UX Writing Hub. There's a website that have blog, newsletter, job board, and a course that is all dedicated for UX writers. So I really recommend you to join and check it out and tell me what you think about it because I care about your feedback. So enjoy the next episode and have fun. Welcome to Writers in Tech podcast. Today we're having Erin and Annalise from Babel. Babel is a startup in Berlin that is about teaching languages. Welcome Erin and welcome Annalise. How are you today? Good, thank you. So thank you for coming today. I'm really excited to have you here. We actually met in Berlin a few weeks ago for the first time. We had a burger together and I accidentally ordered a veggie burger, which was a huge mistake. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> today we're going to talk a little bit about how is it to be a UX writer in a Babel and how did you came into the field of UX writing. So Erin and Annalise, I want you to tell me a little bit, first of all, how did you start as a UX writer? Before I joined Babel, I was a student and copywriter in advertising for two years. And I was never 100% comfortable with the, just being a copywriter because I also have interests in art direction and strategy and, and other aspects of the trade. And prior to that, I spent two summers at a small software company uh, writing interface and instructional uh, content. I guess you could have called that UX writing, but the role didn't exist at the time. I had a good experience in advertising, working with various brands um, across all types of media. But what I loved most was working on specific products, especially digital experiences. I got to design an app at one point, and I enjoyed it so much that I knew that that's what I wanted to go into in the future. Which kind of app was that? It was actually for an award show. It was a fine tech app that gamified savings and tried to make it fun. Nice. So that really inspired me to leave advertising and to look for something that was product side that had to do with writing. And I just found this job description on BerlinStartups.com, I think. And it seemed to fit me perfectly. I'm the first UX writer at Babbel. I had to introduce the role and figure out the processes. And actually, we're still doing that with Aaron today. Yes, you know, it feels like everybody today in their own organizations are kind of learning as they go because you can't learn it in the academy or 
Uh, you know, until a few months ago, we didn't have, have any training programs or courses about this topic. So that's why the aspect of the community is so important to me because like sharing from your own experience and learning from each other from different companies, I believe it's a great way to learn. And Erin, your background is with the journalism, right? Yeah, so I was living in Italy and I was working in writing, editing and, and translation, working for book companies, um, publishing houses mostly. And then I found a job with a UX design consultancy. And I had no idea what UX was at the time. <laughs> so I came on to do their marketing and their English language. That was 10 years ago. Yes, the UX 10 years ago was like super new thing to many, many people. Exactly. And I mean, a lot of what they wanted me to do was to help explain what it was to their clients. They still really were in this process where they felt they had to teach the market a lot about what the value of UX was. So I was doing a lot of conference presentations and magazine articles about UX and that sort of thing at first. And then I was the only native English speaker in the company. Uh, a lot of the other people were Italian. And so they needed my help as they were doing the designs with the, with the words. And they would come to me and start asking me to help out on the interface writing as well. And so that was kind of how I started doing the UX writing, but I had to really teach myself what I needed to know and kind of research it in my own time. But it was really good fun and they were the really fun project. Cool. To see the different backgrounds that UX writers have today, some started as writers or journalists or product designers, few as English teachers even. And it's super interesting to see the different background. And I think it's also super inspiring for the listeners that want to get into the field, but the idea of the background that they should have is kind of wrong. So this is super inspiring. Yeah, well, I saw someone in your group, I think it was, or in some UX writing group that I'm in online asking, oh, you know, I don't know much about working with interfaces. Do I have the right background? And I thought, you know, that's, that's funny in a way because we all use interfaces every single day. The place to start is with the writing skills and then learn how to apply them to the interface text. Exactly. If someone has 15 years of writing experience doing the transition to UX writing, you just need to learn about user interface and about creating digital experiences. But yes, writing background is definitely what you need to have. So I want to talk with you a little bit about challenges that you have uh, when you work as a writer uh, in Babel. First of all, I want you to tell me a little bit about what is Babel actually? Well, Babel has been around for over a decade. So some of us question whether it still counts as a startup, but at least internally, it, it feels like one in that we have still quite a bit of autonomy and we're constantly changing and improving uh, our processes. Babel is a language learning company. It's one of the first, if not the first, online language learning company. Mm -hmm. So it's like a platform that you have a website, you have your web application, a mobile app. Yes. And it's like this whole learning experience yes. around, the, around language. Yep. One of the more unique aspects of Babel is that we um, design the language learning experience based on your native language. So we, we tailor it to you based on your native language. Right. If I'm a Hebrew speaker yes. and I want to learn Spanish, so I will have a tailor-made experience. And Hebrew was just an example. Let's say that I'm an English speaker, a native English speaker, uh, and I will have this customized experience to learn Spanish if I'm looking to learn Spanish. Yeah, so you can build off of what might already help you in your native language. 
That's awesome. And when creating that kind of product, how does a day of a writer in Babel look like? Oh, <laughs> it depends on the day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we have a variety of meetings. Uh, we have a daily stand-up uh, every morning where the product design team uh, talks about what we did the day prior and what we'll do today. Uh, we have a weekly sync with Wardian Translations, which is the department that localizes all of the source copy that we write for the product into the seven different display languages and also sometimes the learning languages. So we work with them quite closely to make sure that the messaging is preserved. And Babbel has a huge variety of opportunities to learn during the week, like uh, product COPs, where we learn about competitors. We have stranger talks on Tuesdays. Apart from all of the necessary syncs with different departments, uh, we have opportunities to learn every day. So when we met in Berlin, you told me about a very specific stand-up meeting that you as writers have to do. It happened already, by the way? No, that no. hasn't happened yet. Yeah, <laughs> that'll happen next mm. So basically, you're going to have a meeting with your team in which you're going to present uh, UX writing to all of to the team of uh, Bubble, right? Yes, to products, which actually includes product design, didactics, and product management. Nice. And what is your plan for that meeting? We're still introducing our role to a lot of people in the company who haven't quite figured out yet where UX writing fits in or don't know which stage they should call us into the project at. So that's a little bit what we're going to talk about next week at this product stand-up. It's just we're going to tell them what we work on, when we want them to call us and that kind of thing. Recently, we had a project where people came back to us and commented on some of the copy decisions And that was a really interesting opportunity for us because we were able to directly answer their questions and show why certain wording was how it was and to say, well, this is based on this principle and this is like this because this is the psychology behind it. Really nice opportunity for us to show that there is a methodology behind how we write. But I think it was also really good for them to see that as well. So we kind of want more people in the company to get that perspective on how we work as well. That's super interesting. So how did they actually comment on your copy? Like on what channel did they use? It was on a Slack group or like on a prototype? They created a Google Doc where they collected their comments and questions and concerns. And we were able to read them and go through them and comment on them individually. Uh, and Google Docs is where Aaron and I collaborate on uh, work and we're I don't know, we're very comfortable using it. And Great. Basically, the people that commented on your copy, they did like screenshots of the screens and then they comment on it? No, they basically just described whatever they were looking at and added their comments next to their names. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was design questions in general. They wanted to know why a certain font size or why a certain image had been used. And then there were also comments on some of the copy choices. Mm -hmm. um, and also the tone. They were wondering whether we need to have, why we made certain word choices. And we were able to explain that actually we wanted to make the survey as engaging as possible. And, and tone had a, a strong role in that. Yeah, I think sometimes people think that UX writing is about having the fewest number of words possible. And there's been a couple of times recently where engineers or even designers have said to us, you know, can you do it in fewer words? And we've actually said yes, but sometimes 
you need a little bit of tone in there as well. You need to make it sound sparky and yeah. <laughs> cheerful. So we decided on this occasion that more words was better. So there's also some misconceptions about like what the best practice is that we're trying to address as well. Right, because many people say today, listen, if you want to write copy, if you want to write copy for interface, people call it microcopy and it should be concise and it should be as short as possible. But this is, as you said, I feel also like it's a misconception because first of all, it must be clear. So we must keep like uh, clarity, right? But uh, in addition, we also need to have kind of character in, in our product. We want to humanize this whole experience. And sometimes short is not the solution. It's been really nice for us to have the opportunity to present that a little bit more, I think, because I don't know if there's been a lot of opportunities in the past. Yeah. Do you have voice and tone style guides for Babbel? do for uh, marketing, um, but that's not really our side of the product. We are actually working on an in-product voice guide. Mm-hmm. And what's your process of setting up that uh, style guide? We basically search our tool that contains all of the source copy in Babel and we can kind of cross-reference what we're writing with what's already been written and see what the conventions are that exist and what we can do in terms of establishing new conventions. Cool. There's many open source documents of the content style guides of different companies. I guess you already know that, but I'm telling it for the listeners that maybe don't know it. But the companies like Shopify and MailChimp and even IBM just present their content style guides for uh, everyone to see. And I see it as a very cool and interesting source of inspiration for a writer that uh, have an, an objective to set up a content style guide for uh, his or her organization. Yes, I've got the, the links to the Shopify and the MailChimp ones that we we're going to use as a reference point, I think, as well. Yeah, it'll be good to see how some other people have been set up, I think. Cool. Actually, I wrote a post that I published in our uh, blog. It's a collection of all of the content style guides that I've found. So I'll send you a link to that so you'll have that reference. Ooh. And I will add it also to the show notes so their listeners would have it as well. So you told me before about how you spent time with learning, right? Learning your competition and doing some research, right? So I want you to tell me a little bit about that. Well, we have a UX research team that is part of product design. So mm-hmm. when we have questions, we can always go to them and then they're able to integrate that directly. And they also present quite often to us um, what their latest research project has been about and they share with us directly videos of some of the research moments so we can always go through and watch those ourselves. And so that's an opportunity to get a bit of an idea of the kind of language that people use themselves about the, the app or about language learning and think about how we can integrate that kind of language in. We don't often directly research with people ourselves but we definitely always benchmark things when we're writing mm-hmm. I mean I often start with an online search of other examples especially from other products that I like and see how they do their error messaging or this kind of messaging whatever I'm working on and make a little bit of an inspiration file before starting to write my own draft What's your favorite source of uh, inspiration at the moment? I always love starting with products like Slack that I think are just, they have a really funny tone and, uh, and MailChimp as well. I think that they're really great at inserting like really 
goofy humor in. Delightful moments. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those ones where it's something that's really not fun. Email mail outs are really not fun. And complicated. Let's talk about it. This is complicated stuff. Yeah, exactly. But at least it guides you through in this nice way with these moments of humor. And you told me about working uh, with research team. That was super interesting, by the way. And I'm very curious about which kind of questions you ask the research team or what kind of data and findings they show you that uh, at the end of the day help you to create a better experience for your users. Well, um, most of what we get from them uh, are the results of the readouts, so, which is their, basically the culmination of the uh, interviews and the conclusions that they've drawn. And that's when we get to, to hear from them their summary and their recommendations. But while they're putting this together, they give us like clips directly from the, the prototypes that we've worked on uh, and then adjust accordingly. Yeah, so we can find out if there's particular parts of the flow that seem confusing or if there's particular wording that seems confusing. I mean, we had a really simple one recently. We did some user testing on a new kind of lesson format and we had on the buttons, we had try again and continue, which we thought was fairly nondescript, I mean, fairly average. But what we discovered is that once people had tried again a few times, they, got, they started to get confused whether continue meant continue trying or whether try again meant continue trying. And so we changed the button text to next, try again or next. And, and it was much clearer for people. And that kind of level of feedback is something we, sometimes you think you've already got it under wraps and you think you know what the obvious things are. But then once you get it in front of real people, these little things come up. Yes, you don't know what you don't know until real people are actually using it. It's just like it's impossible to think when creating, but that's why we're doing those testings, right? Exactly. Cool. So what are you doing is going through the recordings of the interviews and analyze the, the way that the people interact with the interface. And based on that, you create new kinds of uh, assumptions and hypotheses of how the experience should be. Yeah, but I mean, I think that doesn't always happen at our level. Um, quite often, it's sort of something that happens maybe at the product manager level or at the, the team level. And then as we start writing the copy, we also take it into account, you know, but it might come down from a little bit at a higher strategy level that we need to address this word or this area or this kind of activity. And as it comes down through and also think about whether a certain wording or a certain flow would make more sense. I want to also ask about different kinds of testing. So do you have some kinds of testing methodology in uh, Babel? Well, we do quite a bit of feasibility testing. We also do A-B testing, but currently we're not A-B testing our copy. Uh, we would mm -hmm. like to start doing that. What do you think should, be, should happen in order to start testing copy in Babel? I think we would almost need to do it separately from the other testing that goes on because one of the things about when, when we start to test a prototype or a new feature here is that we would test it with different languages, for example, and uh, different native languages and different learning languages. And so your test group sort of starts to get split up a little bit and diffused a little bit. So that it's hard to also throw in an A-B test for a copy 
um, button, for example, because then you're splitting your test group down even further. So that's one of the challenges around A-B tests particularly is that uh, mm-hmm. you're always dividing your numbers by more languages and then by more copy options. So I think we'd almost need to run an A-B test on copy ourselves with a smaller test group. I understand the challenge. It's, like, it's a crazy challenge, but maybe you should start with the most common use cases in your app. Let's say someone which is a native English speaker that want to learn Spanish, for example, and maybe try to implement a few tests on that use case. And I'm just guessing that this is a common use case. I don't know the numbers behind the, the data bubble. But I think it would be a good idea to start uh, there. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we'd like to. It's definitely something that I'd be interested in, in looking at. I think it's something that's worth bringing up in the organization. I know that uh, Booking.com have maybe 160 copy testing a day. And don't uh, maybe I'm not right with the exact numbers, but I know that running multiple, multiple, multiple uh, copy tests on a single page and I know that it really helps them to optimize their conversion rates. And of course, it's a completely different product, but uh, maybe it's a good way to just talk about the value of testing copy with stakeholders and the product owners. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting, particularly for, for parts of the product where conversion is being tested, for example. I think that, of that course, would really like, be great to be getting down to that level of button testing and that sort of thing. In other parts of the product, it might not have as big of an impact. But I think, yeah, definitely that funnel would be the place I'd really be interested in testing. And once you prove how your work improved drastically the conversions of the pricing page, for example, or the payment page, then it will be easier to to sell the fact that you need to do it in the rest of the pages in the product. Yeah, that's interesting. We're not always working on those parts of the product ourselves, though. Sometimes that's, right. um, that's a bit of a gray area. Um, we have a counterpart, like a, our fellow writer in wording translations does a lot more of the uh, visitor-facing writing. Uh, and we work with him closely, but usually he handles the, um, yeah, the payment page registration. And I think also when we test copy, also we don't... Uh, necessarily need just to change the copy of the text, but we can also add different kinds of small text, like microcopy beneath the button or next to the button, maybe different tooltips that just give the uh, user enough information so it will reduce their concerns and it will make it much easier for them to just press that button. Yeah, absolutely. We look at all that kind of copy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the error messages and the tooltips that come up on those pages. That's cool. What do you think about the future of UX writing? Where, where do you think this field is heading? I see that like uh, writers are going to maybe create bots much more humanized and create voice and tone for those chatbots and stuff. Yes, I was about to say that voice and tone becomes even more important because if you do it right, then um, users get attached to this uh, personality uh, in the product, mm-hmm. and it can be the differentiator um, among competitors. Is is this you know delightful personality that you've created? Right, that's a great question, a great answer because focusing more on voice and tone to create more humanized experiences for the digital product that we use. Because in the future, we don't know how those digital experiences are going to be. Maybe we will have to communicate with our uh, fridge. We don't know it, but <laughs> someone would have to write that interface, right? 
Right. I want to know uh, if you have kind of tricks or hacks in your process that uh, you have and you want to share with the listeners. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I really like about working with Babbel compared to consultancy where I was working before is that here we work in the same software as the designers. So we're working in Figma at the moment, which is a collaborative design tool. And we can get right in there and just make changes in the copy. Directly. Yeah. Yeah. So where I was before, um, I didn't have all of, I was using my own um, hardware and I didn't have all of the same software as the designers. So often they would export things to PDF and I would mark up a PDF, which is such an inefficient way of working and introduces so many errors. Or I've worked freelance with designers before who sent me a website mock-up or prototype and said, write copy for everything you can see, which is such a crazy way of working. You know, at least let me into the back end and I won't break anything, I promise. <laughs> and I can make the changes directly. So that's my, my biggest tip, I suppose, is learn how to use the software that the designers are using and get right in there and make changes. Right. And this is an amazing tip. I love this tip because, you know, Figma is the first collaborative tool for designers. We didn't have something like that before. I call it the Google Docs of the designers. And before that we had, it was Sketch, right? Yes, Sketch and InDesign. Exactly. And it works only on Mac. And then it's problematic for your if I'm a writer and I'm using PC, so I can't go into the design file. So now we have Figma. And the interesting thing about Figma is that like, you can go into the design file from even the web, not even from a native app, and then just um, change the text. Yeah, it's so easy. Yep, beforehand uh, we had to sit, oh, well, I had to sit with the designer um, as she inputted the copy from my Google Docs into Sketch. And that was definitely less efficient. <laughs> and when did you did the transition to Figma? Was it like lately or before like a long time ago? Yes, I'd say we transitioned two months ago, probably. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, that's, uh, th- that's yeah. new. Yeah, so we were using Envision and Sketch and I think a couple other tools that we were testing and then settled on Figma. Maybe Zeppelin and Principle? Uh, definitely Zeppelin. Uh, I think we're still using Zeppelin to some extent, but the focus is on Figma and it's, it's helped everyone. By the way, I'm doing right now a course called uh, Figma for Writers. And I'm going to, even if it's like off the record, I'm going to send it to colleagues for free. So uh, I can share it with you if you want. Oh, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like all of the basic stuff, you know, using the text tool is not complicated, but sometimes you want to sketch wireframes really quickly and it might be confusing to people that haven't used this before. I know that you have background in UX, but many writers don't have. So I'm teaching like basic shaping and like how to do shapes and how to use the prototyping tool and how to change text and how to trace also uh, screens, which is also important. That sounds really useful. So I'm really happy that you, you've talked about it because this is a real hack, you know, this is a real thing. Like for many, many, many years, we, we tried to figure out what's going to be the best uh, collaboration between the writers and the designers. And now we have uh, this tool. And by the way, I'm not sure that one year from now, people are still going to use Figma. We don't know it because I know that Adobe XD are working on the collaborative feature as well. And there is like a huge wall right now with all of the prototyping tools between Sketch, InVision Studio, Framer, Figma, Adobe XD. Like it's a wall out there. <laughs> but I'm really happy with the fact that uh, writers in product team 
uh, feel comfortable to approach design tools and they uh, work with them. So thank you very much for being here with me today. It was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. So uh, have a great day and uh, see you in Berlin. Yeah, we're looking forward to the next conference or meetup over this side of things. Yeah, I'll be there for sure. See you then. Oh, you're still here. So that's amazing because that means that you listen to the whole thing and uh, you care. You care. So thank you. If you are in a traffic jam or if you are in a commute with your headphones. So thank you for listening because listening to this podcast means that you care. You care about the future of UX writing. You care about writers having a seat at the table and you constantly looking to improve it. And I want you to be part of our amazing network of UX writers. So thank you for that. And I want to ask for a favor. I want to interview Elon Musk for the podcast Writers in Tech. And in order to do that, I need you. If you know Elon Musk personally, that will be the best. Just send him a message with a link to this episode. But if you don't know Elon Musk personally, all I want you to do is to share this episode on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or any other social channel. And I want you to add an hashtag, come on Elon, or just tag Elon Musk himself and tell them that I really, really, really want to interview him about the future of writers in tech and voice interface design. So that's about it. I'm super happy that you listened today. Feel free to listen to another episode by Writers in Tech. Till then, have a great day. See you later. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again. And that's all for this week.